any brand, PR agency, advertiser, and this is a key message to any influencer listening, if they're asking you to do that, they're asking you to break consumer protection law. They're asking you to break the law. And I mean, everybody should take a massively dim view of that. Warning. This podcast may include hard-hitting truths, shocking revelations, and outrageous social secrets. You won't see your life in the same light after this. But if you're ready to face the reality of an always online world, keep listening. This week on Social Minds, we were joined by Matt Wilson, who is a senior media relations officer for the Advertising Standards Authority. Now, what we wanted to ask Matt was all about the wild, wild west that is social media and how you begin policing that um, and regulating that in a world where we are so fractured and divided by opinion. Yeah, as we learned in the podcast, Matt has spent 14 years at the ASA, so it's a long time. In that time, he has seen everything from risque ads to landmark rulings, all sorts. But nothing, in our opinion, is really stacked up to the challenges posed by social media. And that's everything from influencer marketing to the hashtag ad and hashtag spawn movements to the role of platforms in policing the, their, their own platforms, essentially, and what goes on around there. So... Matt completely brought some really interesting points to the front and a lot of things that you maybe don't even think about every day and especially with this renewed interest in advertising that we all seem to have now. Um, really, really good guidelines for anybody who works in this space but also anybody who's interested in advertising as well as that. Now it's that time again. Uh, you probably know what I'm going to ask. Just wanted to say if you could please leave us a review on anywhere where it's possible to do so. Really, really, really want to hear what you're saying and hear your thoughts on the podcast so far basically so let us know um, and remember that if you've got any questions or any comments to send them our way as well and we'll try our best to answer them hope you enjoy was that a hashtag ad i think it was <laughs> platform or publisher who claims responsibility for socials media it's a tricky one um the publisher if you're talking about the actual platform itself so you go your youtube twitter Instagram as a platform, they have a they have a role within the advertising regulatory sort of ecosystem of working with us to have problem material removed. Mm. But as an advertising regulator and as the rules apply, the book ultimately stops with the publisher, with the the advertiser. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there are different constituents within that that environment. So, if we're talking about an influencer. Are they the advertiser or are they the secondary advertiser? If they're tying in with a brand Mm. or an advertiser and they're promoting products and services on their behalf, the book, as far as the Advertising Standards Authority is concerned, ultimately stops with the advertiser and the brand, not the publisher, if we're talking about the publisher in the terms of the influencer. Mm. Albeit they'll get caught, caught in the crossfire of an ASA investigation and published ruling, if that's what comes about. So we would expect the advertiser behind that message to be the one who is held to account. But ultimately, if they're tying in with an influencer or a celebrity and they're promoting their products and services on their behalf, then they're going to get named and shamed in any Mm. ASA investigation or ruling. Uh, And so there's that requisite kind of damage to their brand reputation itself. Now, if we're talking about an advertiser or an influencer who is unwilling or unable to work with us, and obviously we don't see many examples of that, I think we can get onto that in a bit, but most influencers want to be seen to be authentic and want to to not mislead their yes. followers because yeah. um, it doesn't do their reputation any good if, if they're found out to be doing that. Um, but if someone was unwilling or unable to work with us, then we can work with the likes of Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Snap, 
etc and have problem ads removed by using their powers to obviously remove stuff from their platform but in the main it's not it's not their role to do that in, mm. in, a, in and of mm. itself as an advertising regulator we go to the advertiser and say look your ads has been found in breach of the rules mm. take mm. it down and in nine, 99 times out of 100 that, that's that's enough they will they will work with us it's mm. a self-regulatory system advertisers sign up to those rules not to mislead not to harm not yeah. to offend uh, and we have sanctions at our disposal to bring them to bear but in the in in most cases it's the advertiser who works with us to remove problem claims I am sorry, Theo. I, I saw something the the other day on Instagram, and I I was wondering. I sort of had this in mind, um, if it counted as something that could be pulled up by the ASA or or another regulator. Uh, and it was a, a film star, a celebrity, posting on her Instagram account um, what looked like um, a, a copy video of an advert you'd see on television. It was very, very obviously an advert. Anyone could see that with their own two eyes, but she hadn't marked it ad, even though it was on Instagram. So people were in the comments saying, shouldn't you be marking this with hashtag ad love? And everyone was like, well, you can clearly see it's an advert. It'd been taken from tele, but put on social. Now, right. where, where would, uh, where would your involvement be in that? Well, crikey. Well, I think the first thing we try to establish is remit. You know, is it an ad for the purposes of our code? I mean, that's our mm. starting point. Mm. And not everything is advertising and not everything is subject to our rules. Right. So there is obviously, and rightly, editorial freedom. For, we don't regulate free speech. No. And I think everybody would agree that's absolutely right. Mm. We regulate mm. advertising. Mm. So obviously we'd probably have to go through our processes and establish exactly what was happening in that specific scenario. I'd say it's like a toothpaste commercial. Yeah, it depends on her relationship or that, that person's relationship. If they are just copying it and putting it on their feed, mm. that's not advertising for the purposes of our rules, as long as there's no commercial relationship and no imperative for her to do that. Um, you may get the advertiser themselves knocking on their door about copyright and intellectual. Oh no, sorry, property. she was in the ad. Oh, so she was in the ad. Yeah. Right. Well, so she's so so she, right. So she's like, here's in, my advert with X brand. Right. Okay. Well, in effect, that's possibly covered by the rules in terms of it being an ad. Mm. But whether or not she has to disclose is probably a really really inter interesting question and kind of one of those debates where we're at, we're at at the moment mm. as a regulator. Mm. We don't think that despite maybe uh, misconceptions out there that all ads have to be labeled ad in social media. Mm. It's only in terms of content content and context when it's not clear. Yeah, right. So our rules are that ads have to be obviously identifiable as ads. Yeah. Mm. And obviously a quick and obvious way of doing that is doing hashtag ad. Mm. That's not the only way. There are myriad ways in which you can label something an ad. Hashtag spawn. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> well, we'll get into that complicated territory in a minute because there, there, okay. there is a difference between sponsorship and advertising under our rules. So right. we'll, we'll try and clarify that for you. But... If she's replicating an ad that she appears in, I think most people would recognise that it's an ad. Yeah. So it's a little bit like, we you know, we all watch Corey or we all watch something on TV. And in between that programme, we, we recognise a commercial break mm -hmm. in the same way as walking down a post, uh, down the street, we recognise a poster or a billboard. or We, we recognise what's advertising in the uh, main. Yeah. Social media, obviously, the lines can be blurred between editorial content, free opinion, mm -hmm. and then what suddenly becomes advertising. Mm -hmm. When something's patently, obviously, an ad, mm we don't expect people to label it an ad yeah, because I mean, the viewer, the, the person engaging with it will generally understand that's what they're watching. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Well, that's what people were saying in the comments, but I feel like everyone's so hypersensitive to it at the moment that straight away they were like, you're not marking it, you're not marking it. And I think a lot of the voices sounded like, 
um, is a celebrity exempt from the rules because she's uh, that famous. I think that's a really interesting point. I think lots of people are really hot on it at the moment, which actually from a regulatory point of view is really quite heartening because we've done quite a lot of work over the last two to three years in really hammering home this message of Mm. this is how and when the ad rules apply. These are the circumstances when it does. This is what you should be aware of and the importance of disclosure, the importance of being upfront and clear. Um, and what we're seeing now, actually, in our Twitter sphere, in our, in our, in our feed, in our Facebook channels and, uh, and other places, is this sort of self-policing that's going on amongst mm. the influencer mm. community yeah. about mm. people calling out what they think is bad practice. Oh, yeah. um, and actually, that, that's, that's good because it means the message is getting out there. It means people are more aware and actually people are engaged with the fact that there's a need to be upfront and transparent and clear. Yeah. But also, I think sometimes there's, there's and there's more work for the ASA to do. There's sometimes confusion about what is an ad and when they should be disclosing them. You know, in all instances, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's something bad going on just mm. because someone's got that sort of, you know, they're publishing something that might have a commercial intent. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. We're not here to stop that. Uh, so it's it's this ongoing kind of uh, education and awareness drive to make yeah. people know when the rules apply, but also that sometimes doing these things in and of itself is not a problem. Yeah, uh, of course. That's, that's interesting you say what you were saying a second ago, Matt, as well, that, you know, if something is clearly an advert, it goes back to, I can't remember the um, journalism and editorial standards body, but it was, it was a case of something clearly marked as an opinion it can it doesn't really fall under libel laws and slander laws so you've got this with advertising where something is clearly an advert i'm clearly um uh, acting as an advert for said brand that maybe i don't have to hashtag ad or hashtag um whatever or 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 mark that is a paid partnership so is that is that sort of because because we've we've gotten used to seeing everything that even resembles slightly an ad, whether it be an influencer post or an ad, like you were saying, Eve is hashtag ad, paid partnership with said brand. So there are times where you maybe don't have to do that. Are you saying there are absolutely, and we have we have ruling examples where, mm-hmm. and there's a really key ruling where you know Nike we're in partnership with Wayne Rooney. He's you know one of their ambassadors, he's got that commercial relationship with them. But it was so obvious from the content of his tweet, and it was something like one of the Nike make it count type tweets, hashtag. Mm-hmm. But from the, the content and the context in which his tweet appeared, there was no hashtag ad, there was no hashtag spawn or anything like that. We got a complaint that it wasn't obviously identifiable as an ad. It wasn't clear it was an ad. But actually, we full, we launched a formal investigation. We published our findings, and we didn't ban the ad. We didn't think it broke the rules because it was so obvious from the content and the context in which it appears that it was a Nike ad, that mm. Wayne, Wayne Rooney was, as a brand ambassador, as somebody who's sponsored by them, was promoting their product and brand. So that's a good example of it doesn't always have to be labelled. Now, that said... Of course, that you know, hammering home this message of, of of transparency and being upfront and clear. If anyone's in any doubt mm. as to whether or not it's obviously obviously identifiable, then label it. You know, it's not going to hurt you. No. Yeah. And also, we have a an advice service available that which we encourage everyone who's in doubt to use. It's free. We have a bunch of experts who are well versed in the codes and how they apply, and digital specialists who can be contacted in, in a daily basis and have an ad campaign, a, a treatment, a creative run past them, and they will give free independent expert advice on whether or not it's likely to stick to the rules. 
And that's, that's a no-brainer as far as we're concerned. You know, they can give you a steer on the likelihood of it running into problems with the ASA. Mm. What's the likely sort of consumer takeout going to be? Are they going to be likely to be misled? Could you lab label it more clearly? Does it need to be labelled? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the, 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 that's a sort of um, something we just recommend any influencers unsure mm. about whether or not they should label to take advantage of. But yeah, not in all instances, it doesn't have to be labelled if it's obviously clear. That's interesting. I wonder though, as people, as we sort of see more and more... Um, ads particularly from influencers uh, say on instagram um something that would have fallen under old rules definitely market because it's a new type of content marketing and no one's sure but we're becoming extremely savvy in recognizing that so as that becomes more obvious will the need to disclaim the ad go down i think that's a really really good question it's something i've sort of been musing upon in the last few weeks about this if you you go back to my point about we all recognize an ad in traditional media, it's obvious. We're so used to it. I mean, you could argue that we're going to get to, I don't know what the time span for this is, but we're going to get to a place where we know when an ad is an ad in mm. that mm -hmm. social media influencers yeah. space because it's just apparent to us. I, I don't know if that's going to be because there is that one obviously discernible label or it's just because over time we all become so savvy as consumers in that space that it's, it's just obvious and clear. Yeah. So I think we will move away from that I, you know, identifiable mm. issue over time and deal more specifically with the claims that are being made about the products and services that they're promoting, which mm. are also subject to the rules, which I think is going to be a really interesting area, particularly when you get into uh, concerns around promoting health, you know, health claims and uh, and things like that. Mm. Um, you know, can you back those up? The, 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 essence, the, the essence of the code is that ads shouldn't mislead and they shouldn't be harmful. Yeah. Have you got the evidence to back up the claims that you're making about those products? But at the moment, the, the, the real focus of all the ASA's work in this space is particularly about disclosure. Mm. But yeah, we could, I could foresee a time when that's not such a big issue anymore. Yeah, I, it's su more obvious. I suppose the success of that is very reliant on what you guys are doing at the moment, sort of lay the ground rules now. And then hopefully in the future, it won't be so like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. And I think that we've recognized that one is a, really encouragingly, there's a, there's a massive appetite out there amongst the inf influencer community for, you know, how the rules apply. Mm. When do they apply mm. to me? And we've had a lot of really positive engagement. And I think there's one thing I wanted to reassure everyone of. It's it's not the ASA is here wielding some arbitrary regulatory stick to, <laughs> to, to bat, you know, social the social community over the head with. Actually, I think we can demonstrate that a lot of our focus is on providing guidance, training, mm. you know, mm. uh, uh, resources that help people get it right rather than, mm. you know, just sneaking out from behind, a, you know, a tree and going, you know, <laughs> whacking people and, <laughs> and, and naming and shaming them. It's not how we yeah. operate. I mean, yeah. we're, we're not an officious regulator in that way. We, we had actually preferred to help advertisers get it right. Mm. I mean, I think back to your, your point about opinion versus an editorial versus kind mm. of discla mm -hmm. disclaiming. The interesting thing here is, we go back, we were formed in 1962, and in our first annual report, we were talking about uh, editorial content masquerading, and so advertising masquerading as editorial content. Oh, we're course, talking about advertorials. advertorials. Stuff, yeah. Now, th so that's as old as the hills. The rules have, haven't changed since th those times, since 1960s. Um, and this is just applying them in a new space. So the whole essence of, you know, opinion versus editorial advertising messages masquerading as editorial is is, is is as old as the as the advertising codes mm. codes are so it's not new in that sense it's just a new space in which it's happening 
That's interesting. I'm keen to know as well the the sort of mindset at the ASA and when social media was sort of, I suppose social media, we could say it really sort of took off in 2008, I suppose with yeah. Facebook and whatnot. And then from there, it's, it's gone um, ever more popular. Did it serve a bit of a curveball to the ASA to see this um, this new gamut of content and people becoming billboards in themselves, I suppose. Was it sort of a, it must've been a strange time to sort of think. Mm. Like, oh, okay. I wonder how long no. it took to catch up that like, oh, oh wait, this is something that we need to be covering as well now. <laughs> well, I mean, they're the really, really interesting territory. And yeah, you're absolutely right. And I was there uh, for that, that, that sort of tra transition and explosion of advertising in that space and these commercial relationships that were developing mm -hmm. um, advertising through those mediums. And as a regulator, we've got to hold our hands up. You know, there's a bit of catch up to do there that, you know, there's always an arms oh, yeah. race. And oh, I mean, yeah. an arms race in the mm. softest possible sense between a regulator and advertisers in terms of the innovation, the new and creative ways in which they can reach audiences. But the beauty of our system and the rules has always been that the, the rules are um, applicable across media. So it doesn't matter if, if you or I invented a new advertising wonderful technology medium tomorrow, mm -hmm. you know, a new mm -hmm. Facebook or a new something else, a, a new internet, I don't know what it's going to be, but the advertising rules would apply in that space tomorrow. Mm. So in that respect, there's not much catching up to do, but there's certainly catching up to do in terms of, and we had to do it in terms of, well, how do we raise awareness about advertising in that space? Because what's been really interesting is seeing the dawn of the influencer. And there is no barrier to entry. That's the, the democracy mm -hmm. of the internet and the mm -hmm. World Wide Web is that I could set up tomorrow. I don't think I'm going to get many followers, but I could set up tomorrow in my bedroom and start telling the world about, you know, my life, the universe, et cetera. And I may, if I get more popular, get some brands who are interested in piggybacking on my success and popularity with mm -hmm. my audience. And if they start to pay me to say stuff, nothing wrong with that whatsoever. That's a, that's a success story. That's mm -hmm. brilliant. And that's to be commended. But the moment I start entering into that commercial relationship, it, I obviously have to be aware of the advertising rules. And the thing, the thing for us is, why would anybody who sets up in their bedroom um, suddenly becomes a, an influencer, an overnight success, why should they necessarily be automatically aware of the Advertising Standards Authority and the rules that apply to them? Yeah, and that's the challenge for us, or has been. It's going, reaching this new audience and going, hello, by the way, <laughs> you're, you see what you're doing. No problems at all with that. But actually, rules apply to you. Suddenly, you're an advertiser. It's interesting. So that's yeah. been the, the big challenge and the change in that environment. It, it strikes. It always strikes me as interesting. It's almost come about by, by accident, this is. And it's been brands seeing the influence of these people. <laughs> and like you say, you know, suddenly you're sort of thrust into, you know, this commercial partnership. And you think, oh, that's, that's great. But then, you know, there, there are these rules that apply as well. I find it infinitely fascinating. It's, yeah, sort of like, it's all sort of uh, come around. And I've got to ask you, so we, we, we touched on platforms briefly. Um, and we, we we touched on that they brought in the uh, Instagram, particularly brought in the paid partnership label, mm. this paid partnership said brand. Do you think platforms do enough? Do you think they take as, enough responsibility? Um, I mean, you can't say... I suppose you can't blame your TV for everything that appears on, you know, on your TV. But I suppose with, with, with the complexity of this space that we're in now, could platforms be doing more to help this self-policing culture that we have? Uh, it's a really, it, it's a really good question. And I, I don't have the neat answer. I think that 
they do play an important role already. Uh, you know, we have open dialogue and conversations with, you know, Google, Facebook, um, uh, Snapchat, Twitter, etc. you know, on a weekly basis about how they can work with us mm. to police. But we're about to launch a new strategy, and I won't go too much into that because that'll, that'll turn everyone off, but <laughs> our strategy will look more in the next five years to online, even more so than we you know, than where we've been so far. We've done a lot of work in to, in this area in terms of better policing, advertising online, mm. particularly in social media space. But going forward for the next five years, it's really going to be the absolute s- sort of focus of our work. And part of that is going to be how we better work with and engage with um, social media giants mm. because they are an integral part of that ecosystem. And oh, if yeah. we don't have their buy-in, if we don't have their support, then obviously we become less effective and, Mm. you know, there's lack of clarity about the rules and also how do you police things if you don't have their support. So they do already play a really important role, but um, any initiatives that they undertake, such as the paid promotion or partnership thing on on Instagram, we we welcome because anything to do with improving transparency, with Mm. making people, making ads more clear is is something that we support. You know, there's no harm in in that initiative. Mm. Obviously, Mm. we've always got to be careful because we go, well, it's not a get out clause, you know, to say, oh, I did this and therefore it's absolutely fine because the advertising rules ultimately Mm. are what we administer and Mm. what have primacy Mm. in terms of judging whether or not something is okay. But anything like that, that they're undertaking with their community to help them be upfront and clear with followers is is no bad thing. Mm. I actually, um, I thought it was a really good idea when they brought it out and you can sort of see um, their agenda in it as well as like looking good for transparency. It means they can take a cut um, of that paid partnership. But I saw an influencer tweeting that brands uh, she was working with had asked her outright not to use that feature. Are you running into problems like that a lot? Brands are actually um, not complying as much as influencers are willing to. Well, this is a really hot topic and actually it's slightly removed from what we'd get involved in. So one, any brand, PR agency, advertiser, and this is a key message to any influencer listening. If they're asking you to do that, they're asking you to break consumer protection law. They're asking you to break the law. And I mean, everybody should take uh, a massively dim view of that. Um, we don't regulate that conversation. We don't regulate somebody no. saying you don't disclose. What we do is regulate the fact that it hasn't been disclosed. Yeah. Uh, and so the influencer is going to run into problems if they get found out, let alone with the ASA, but in terms of the authenticity of their, you know, their brand and, mm. and, and their reputation. But in effect, yeah, being asked to break the law is 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 just downright sneaky and 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 dodgy. <laughs> uh, and there are other other. Um, organizations such as the Competition and Markets Authority, yeah. Trading Standards, who, yeah. you know, can take legal action, statutory action against that mm-hmm. uh, brand who, who are encouraging someone to do that. But yeah. also, ultimately, again, the, if somebody's an influencer is in that situation, they, they're going to get into trouble themselves. So, so you say that would, um, say if they decide, decided to go with what the brand had said and not disclose, uh, just picking up on something you said that, which is that would... Um, decrease the um, authenticity of their personal brand. But what we found a lot of initial pushback anyway from influencers not wanting to mark ads is because they thought marking it would actually get rid of authenticity. Well, there's a really good academic discussion around that. Um, I mean, our starting point is if it's an ad, it has to be obviously identifiable. Mm. And, you know, we make no apology for that. If people don't agree, then Mm. it's kind of tough because 
that is the rules, and I don't mean in that uh, in a d demonstrative type of way. What I do know is actually there's been research undertaken. I think um, I, I I can't name the source of it, but I think it might have been the Internet Advertising Bureau or, or similar. One of the trade associations representing the advertising community have shown that people are not turned off by hashtag ad. No, if they know it's an ad, and someone is up front, it hasn't it hasn't devalued that message no. and also it just gives the people the opportunity to exercise you know the right to 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 choose to see what the advertiser wants to, to say i mean yeah. i think i would reverse that and say people get really really annoyed if they find out at the end of the process oh, yeah. of engagement something that actually they were paid to say that it's not their their opinion mm. yeah so you know i do understand your argument and that that premise but what I would say is, one, the rules apply. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I was just floating. Yeah. 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 No, no. <laughs> floating at <laughs> no, I, I think that's something we hear. And I think that's a really, really valid argument. I get it. But it doesn't wash when we say, well, the rules are clear that you've got to be yeah. obvious, obviously identifiable as ads. And two, we know actually that people are not necessarily turned off by seeing yeah. hashtag ad. They still might engage with it. And I think when it's a creator you care about and you choose to follow, you want to support their work. Yeah. Mm. yeah if you, you understand that they're making a living. Yeah, you understand the value and the the... The, the process of that, I suppose. Yeah. And you, yeah, well, you understand where the money comes from. Yeah, no, yeah. These, yeah, these people, they, they carry weight and sort of, you know, they, they can be trendsetters. They can be people, you know, that's mm. why people follow them. That's why the, the title influencer is kind of there. Yeah. They, people put stock and store in what they say. So if they wanted to say, I like this watch or, you know, I like this, whatever they got, I might be interested in it because actually I put quite a lot of, currency in what they have to say and actually it may influence mm. me that's why they get this commercial tie-in and this you know so being upfront and clear we don't think one it's covered by the rules and so they, people have to we don't think it's necessarily detrimental to no. their authenticity because actually they're more authentic when they're clear of in what they're doing yeah yeah i know it's a good point i'm keen to know as well matt so in all your uh 14 years i think you said at the asa which is a long long time and yeah. um, now you've obviously seen some risky ads over over the years, and some probably some shocking ads and shock tactics is something we all, we at times associate with advertising. Now it seems like the landscape's changing, and we're moving into this world where um, we're seeing a lot of uh, sort of backlash against the old stereotypes, a lot of conversations around gender and how people are defined, and and all sorts of conversations going on there. But a lot of societal trends are changing now i know you can't comment too much on specific examples but how are you finding these changes how are you reacting to the the changes of say 2018 is not the same as 1998 which is not the same as 19 you know 68 yeah uh, i i think it's a fascinating area um if you're a regulatory geek like I am, that, you know, you look at an ad that 20 years ago would be shown now and, we, you know, your jaws would drop. Mm -hmm. and go, we can't <laughs> believe that. Even 20 years ago, which is actually is not that long. Mm -hmm. But what we do is we judge within the context of ads that are likely to cause harm and offence. We, we judge um, the context the context in which it appears, the medium in which it appears, the audience that's likely to see it. Um, the product that's been advertised and also prevailing standards. And by prevailing standards, that means that we try to judge as best we can, like a bellwether of society's mores mm. and the way it's yeah. likely to, to to judge something. And we, we update our thinking in that area uh, through public research. So we do harm and offence research, you know, tell us. So big, big research projects where we get uh, members of the public to engage with us and tell us where they think the line should be drawn. And right. obviously that, that line moves mm. because what might mm. not, 
what we might have found offensive now that would have been acceptable 20 years ago, actually you can flip that. What we find acceptable now would possibly be really offensive, mm. you know, mm. 20 yeah. years ago. Yeah, no, so that's a good point. the mores change. Um, and so we, we always have to be alive to that. And I think you get some fascinating cases. And, and the context and content point is really important. So think back to one of the most um, most complained about ads of all time. It's not anymore, but it's kind of in the top 20. And it was a, an Yves Saint Laurent poster featuring Sophie Dahl, who was then a supermodel. And she's relaxing uh, on her back, na fully naked on this velvet rug. Uh, and it's for Yves Saint Laurent uh, perfume and opium perfume. And we got over 900 complaints that it was likely to cause serious and widespread offense and it was inappropriate. Um, and, and particularly with regards to children seeing it. Um, and it appeared on billboards around the UK. What, like fully, no, fully, nothing fully, censored? Fully, fully, nothing censored. Oh, I mean, she, yeah, it was quite risque <laughs> ad. Um, uh, and we got, I was about to act it out, but I went, <laughs> we, we, we got low complaints. It was harmful and offensive. And we, we banned the ad because it was in an untargeted medium. And therefore, people had no control over seeing it or mm. not. So it arrives mm -hmm. in people's lives unbidden. It, mm -hmm. was, it was just there. So we banned it, in, it, 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 it on the grounds that it was likely to offend and it was inappropriately targeted or untargeted. But that same exact same image appeared in women's lifestyle magazines. And we got four complaints. And we didn't ban it because we thought in terms of the readership of those magazines, in terms of the content in which they were likely to view and mm. the subject matter within mm -hmm. those app, in those magazines, it was acceptable because it wasn't likely to jar with the public's expectations and what they find editorially within that magazine. Yeah. So it just shows you so the content and context is really important in terms of judging those, those matters. But in terms of your broader point about gender, we're in the middle of a really, really zeitgeisty, interesting, mm. fascinating debate about gender stereotypes. Um, and we've done a massive project last year over the last 18 months, researching with the public about what is a harmful stereotype? Are there harmful stereotypes? Are we drawing a line in the right place? Are we in line with public thinking in this in this space, in this, in this, in this issue? And we did a huge uh, research project which, which found that some stereotypes, gender stereotypes can be harmful. Not all. We're not here to ban stereotypes in and of themselves. Mm. I mean, stereotypes are a quick and easy way for an advertiser, particularly in a short space of time, to convey a message which we all, yeah. it resonates and it clicks. Sorry, it's for a reason. E exactly. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're never going to get into a space, and nor should we, where we're banning stereotypes. But our research and the evidence base has suggested to us that there are certain gender stereotypes that can be harmful. Mm. And what re was really uncovered there was issues around stereo gender stereotypes that reduce people's sort of sense of themselves or limit mm -hmm. their view of themselves and their life opportunities. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. an ad where you may get, you know, a man with his feet up on, on a coffee table with the kids whilst a harassed mother just hoovers around them, cleans and it's so, <laughs> and it's suggesting it's solely her job to do that. Mm. Yes. Now it's the, the rest of the family, it's not their task at all. It, it's the woman's role or ads where you know, either gender is seen as, as useless at something because of their gender. Mm. So men at changing nappies or women at parking um, or that young boys should always be daring and young girls should always be caring, you know, mm. playing with dolls and boys playing in trees. Those stereotypes, you know, if you depict an ad tomorrow, 
showing a boy being daring, that's not a problem. But if you're suggesting that it's solely because of his gender and girls should be doing something safer and more yeah. feminine, and I'm going to use feminine in inverted commas, um, then that might be something that's not going to be permissible. Mm. Uh, we've, we've launched, we had a full public consultation, that consultation closed in the summer. We proposed a new rule about specifically stopping harmful gender stereotypes. And I think we'll be announcing uh, towards Christmas or in the start of the new year if that rule's coming into effect. But it's a really zeitgeisty kind of live hot topic uh, yeah. and debate. But that's that's about us moving with the times and sort of recognising that actually where the old rules sat and not necessarily where they need to be nowadays, reflecting sort of modern society and people's generally prevailing opinions and standards. I mean, how how easy is it, though, to, to make sure you're in line with public thinking? Um, because it's obviously a great way to sort of crowdsource opinion and see what people are thinking, but... I would worry that like, even, let's say, a survey would come back divided because people's opinions seem to be very divided on things like that at the moment. On the one hand, you've got the super woke generation who's offended by everything. And then on the flip side, you've got the, uh, say, not so woke, but are offended by the fact that they're offended by everything. <laughs> well, I think it's difficult. And a survey, uh, a survey can't tell us everything. No. It can give us a very good snapshot. I mean, we're talking about extensive polling. So, you know, mm. Ipsos Mori uh, did it with us. Um, two years ago, and it was you know several thousand people, um, and there's a lot of evidence collated. We also review academic papers on harm uh, and, and on media trends. But we'll be honest, you know, in all of that, ultimately we are boiling down to making a relatively subjective decision. Yeah. And of course, it weighs up all these things: the context, the content, the yeah. audience, the medium. Uh, and You're probably never going to please everyone. And we will mm. never please everybody. Mm. We will never, and, and, and nor should we. No. Um, I think as a regulator, we have to be confident in the fact that, and we are, that, you know, any time we publish a ruling that has garnered a, a complaints on the grounds of harm and offence, we will displease, you know, half the population. Yeah. You know, we get, you know, barracked and abused yeah. on our Twitter feed. <laughs> oh, no. Every, yeah, it's, 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 it's tough. Um every time we make a decision that doesn't please one side of the argument, mm. you know, mm. it, it, what, what you find funny, I may, I may find ha- highly offensive or vice versa. Mm. Humor is subjective. Offense is subjective. What we have to do is make what we think is a balanced decision based on the fact it's advertising and advertisers don't have a right to offend you. Mm. They have a right no. to freedom of expression. Mm. But if the offense that is caused even to one person is so serious or, you know, it's a widespread offence. It's so serious that we should, we think it breaks our advertising rules mm. because it's an ad, you know, you don't have a God-given right to yeah. just mm. be offensive. And you'd mm. think advertisers, say back in the day, I mean, I don't know because I wasn't there, but <laughs> I'm sort of guessing that there would there would be less inclination for an advertiser to talk about something so sensitive as say transgender issues, even though, or just gender issues, um, because their sole focus was selling toothpaste. But these days it feels like, every single brand wants to get involved in, um, we call it cause marketing, mm. a sensitive topic that means something to their audience, even though it can bring like extreme problems as well. Yeah, well, I mean, our ad rules allow for ads to be distasteful without necessarily breaking the rules on offence yeah. and harm. You know, we, we can't all agree, and I don't want to live in, live in a world where we all have, it's totally vanilla, and nobody challenges and nobody is risque, I mean, that's half the point of advertising, you know, yeah. and, yeah. and I hope to be. I hope that kind of heartens anyone listening that as a regulator, we're, we're not here to censor unduly mm. or to to stop people being innovative, irreverent uh, and, and, and creative. You know, 
advertising's colourful and it's interesting and it can be edgy. And some of the best campaigns are some of the, some of the best campaigns ever are those that are jarring and mm. that are highly sensitive. I mean, some of the best campaigns, often the most sensitive as well, and they do generate complaints, but some of the best campaigns I've seen in my time at the ASA are for uh, charity ads. They deal with hard-hitting issues yeah. that are often really uncomfortable mm. and, can, mm. and they're deliberately uncomfortable. They yeah. make you think and they make they challenge you as a viewer and they challenge you as a, a member of society to think about a very important issue be it child abuse be it putting the seatbelt on be it anti-drink driving anti-smoking oh yeah they, they cause offense some we get hundreds of complaints about often really high profile campaigns of that nature causing offense doesn't mean we have to ban it it means mm. we'll take them we'll take those complaints seriously and we'll, we'll, we'll weigh everything up but advertisers have a right to be edgy and you know, yeah, pushy you and, like and provoking and the yeah. right emotion like, for the right reasons. Yeah. You'll probably, well. probably agree as well. It reminds just what you were saying there, Maz. It, it reminds a few episodes ago we had um, Simon Gunning mm. in, who's CEO of Calm Campaign Against mm. Living Miserably, um, and he was. We we were speaking to him about taking this, you know, advertising led toward um, approach towards charity. Um, and the merits of that, and he was saying how, you know, at one point they were publishing, I think it was male suicide letters in, mm. you know, full yeah, page ads in the newspapers, real newspapers. letters, yeah. And, um, you know, hitting home the the strength of that mm. message, I suppose. He said he so got judged, uh, well, the agency has been judged by a lot of other, like, um, similar charities because they claim that they were using shock tactics. But Simon's brilliant. He really didn't care. He was like, shock is what works. Like, it's not shock for the purpose of harm. It's shock for the purpose of saving lives. Mm. Yeah, and absolutely. And behind that is just an incredibly important message. And we did a big project, actually, sort of three or four years ago around shock tactics and charity advertising in particular because we realised that we weren't banning that many and that's not in and of itself a problem. But we were like, are we getting that line? Are we? Is our dial set correctly mm. in terms of judging prevailing standards mm -hmm. and what people mm -hmm. think? And actually, we, we did a really big exercise unearthing all our decisions, reviewing them. And we were satisfied that actually, yeah, we, we you know, if something crosses a line, there's slightly more leeway. It's not officially in the rules, mm. but there's slightly more leeway. And we, we've been public about this, that the Advertising Standards Authority will give charitable causes. It's one thing... A charity using a hard-hitting, hit stark image, and then I don't know a supermarket using that same image well, to yeah, flog bananas. Their agendas mm. are because extremely different. Exactly, agendas are completely different. The context is completely different. So there'll always be a bit more leeway given to them. Um, but ultimately, there is there is still a line, and if they cross over it, we'll, we'll take action. But um, I think it's a really interesting debate about you know where do we draw that line and. Mm. It goes back to, of course, we ultimately have to make a subjective decision. Mm. Um, and in all of that, there will be people who are unhappy with, <laughs> yeah. with where we end up. But, you know, there's a lot of careful, careful consideration given to and really fascinating debates internally at the ASA about these kind of cases. Is it quite hard? I'm interested to know, is it quite hard to get banned? And I say that <laughs> saying that, you know, if, if, we, if we speak about, so, you know, on the one hand, we speak about influencers, but so we speak about, you know, the statues of this world and BBHs and stuff have been around since the you know beginning of advertising, dawn of time. And, but yet you still see major adverts from major brands banned, even, even on, you know, traditional sort of advertising. And if, you know, what's the sort of mindset? I'm interested to know, do you think they sort of, is, is the response kind of one of, of, of surprise are they sort of trying to think like right okay let's see how far we can we can push this or see 
Well, I, I, I think there's two key points there. Is one, we've got to contextualise it in this, the, the, with regards to the, the sheer volume of advertising that appears in the UK every mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. So, of course, some ads get banned and they involve major, well-established agencies behind them and they fall far the rules. Mm-hmm. That in and of itself is not an issue. Um, the issue would be if they're just constantly, perennially breaking the rules week in, week out. Mm. So you've got to think about, one, the volume of advertising that appears Again, set against the amount of ads that we actually ban. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and two, it gets back to that point about we don't want to live in a dull world, do we? No, and, no. And, and advertisers are, you know, the good advertisers, they're innovative, they're irreverent, they're dynamic and creative. And, and we, we think that makes the world slightly more colourful and more interesting. And we'd want their their essence is to push the boundaries mm. and the regulator, you know, to step in if they overstep that mark. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. we're not here to stop advertisers having fun. So we get around 30,000 plus complaints a year, about around 20,000 ads. And last year we had around 7,900 ads withdrawn, banned. Now let's put that into context. There are about and these are old figures, but there's about 30 million press ads a year. There's 2 billion direct mailings in the UK mm-hmm. every year. There's then there's online. <laughs> and you've got posters, billboards, TV, radio. <laughs> yeah, so we're talking <laughs> figures that are astronomical. This is we, incredible, yeah. Yeah, we don't think most advertisers, and we, we know this, most advertisers don't go out there to deliberately mislead mm-hmm. or deliberately offend. One, because it's a really, really crummy business decision. You, you know, if you're trying to attract consumers, but you become known as somebody who's, you know, misleading mm. or harmful or mm. offensive, you'll you'll soon see footfall moving away from your products or service. Uh, so we just don't see it as a, a common business practice for people to advertise in a way that's likely to mm. alienate the potential consumer base. <laughs> I mean, just would be slightly strange. And then two, um, you know, but occasionally they'll get it wrong. And and that's that's why the ASA is here. But we don't see that they're, they're hell-bent on you know, being deliberately misleading, but of course they're trying to push the envelope That's and push the boundaries. That's what advertisers do. I'm, I'm curious, with, with like so much advertising out there to, to moderate, do you rely, like how heavily do you rely on public uh, tip-offs of, uh, as to whether or not something's been offensive? Because obviously you get your complaints and that'll probably uh, cause you to look into something. But separate to getting complaints from the public, are you monitoring um, yourselves. Yeah, it, it's both. So, yeah. I mean, we, we given those figures I've just told you about, we have to be complaints led because mm. we have to have the eyes and ears of the public or mm. also businesses. Mm. I mean, businesses hawkishly watch what their competitors are doing oh, yeah. and, will, and will let us know <laughs> if if they think there's a competitive unfair advantage through mm. an ad. So, you know, your supermarkets, your telecommunications sectors. That's sneaky, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, it's Morrison's here. Have you seen what Tesco are doing? <laughs> it's exactly that. It's exactly that. So there are, they keep each other honest. Um, but obviously the public are our eyes and ears in terms of, I mean, it's not for us, there's two things. It's not for us to tell the public they're offended. No. So mm. if an ad that appeared that could arguably be offensive, it wouldn't be for the ASA to go, oh, that's that's inappropriate. It'd be for the member of the public to tell us because we're not... Could you act on it though? I wonder if like an advert popped <laughs> up, and this is probably never going to happen, but if an advert did pop up that say loads of people in your office thinking, oh God, look at that, like we've seen this before, this is bad, but the public were like, chill. Yeah, Could well, you act on it? I think there'd be a re- there's an interesting b- debate to be had there, and it's all theoretical. Um, if there was an element that... The advertising rules contain a rule, which is a catch-all for the unexpected or the unintended. Mm. 
if the and it gives the power for the ASA to act in in extreme circumstances. If ads are meant to be prepared in a socially responsible way, so if we think an ad is socially responsible, as in it could lead to real consumer detriment and harm, and particularly with regards to vulnerable people or young children, so the codes require that ads should not contain anything that's likely to result in a child's physical, mental, or moral harm. Mm. The ASA could see fit to go. Well, that's just so obviously a problem under the codes. I mean, I think we'd probably get a complaint if an ad yeah, of that nature. But if just for argument's sake, say we didn't, the ASA could on its own back go, yeah, that just brings advertising into disrepute and it's socially yeah. irresponsible, so we're going we're gonna to act. I mean, that, that just doesn't happen. Um, so, yeah, we, 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 we have to respond to complaints from the public in the main. However, we do a lot of monitoring behind the scenes as well. We do sector sweeps. So we'll focus on, you know, things like social media space and we'll, you know, do a, a sweep of a particular platform, maybe looking at a specific issue. You know, there are very, very specific tight rules around age-restricted products mm. like alcohol, oh, like yeah. gambling, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they can't be targeted at or likely to appeal no. particularly to children. And by that, I mean on so one of the first mm. things I was taught, yeah. absolutely not. Yeah, mm. it's a no-go. Mm. Yeah. So, and I think that's going to be an interesting one going forward. If we look at potential for a social, well-known social influencer start getting into a commercial tie-in with an alcohol brand, mm. or what yeah. if what mm. if twenty five percent of their audience is under eighteen? That would start getting yeah. into very very know, tricky uh, territory. Um, at the minute, the rules yeah. are the influencer themselves has to be over the legal age in their country before they can sell alcohol. Mm. But mm. there's just no way of knowing who's following them. Well, yeah, and but but we offer. I think this is going to get really interesting and really, and I'm sure there'll be some case law which will come out over time. Mm. Um, mm. The rules, the alcohol rules and the gambling rules are: you can't advertise those products to under 18s, and if over 25% of the audience is uh, under 18, you can't advertise it. Right. So if an influencer's audience was over 25% under 18, then they couldn't promote alcohol. No. Also, the rules are really, really tight in that anyone who is or appears to be under 25 can't advertise alcohol. No. So Makes that's sense. when you get into... Yeah, but then you go into sort of, you know, betting firms maybe allying with... Footballers, I mean, a lot of footballers are under 25. Yes, so yes. you get into these really, really interesting areas, but, uh, you know, the rules are very, very clear. Um, but, yeah, we'll do sector sweeps and we'll analyse certain ads in certain media. Uh, and that is often around a particular issue um, that might be of detriment to consumers. Mm. And we'll take broad sector enforcement action. So that be issuing mm. letters to everybody in that area going, look, we've done a sweep. We picked up on this, this, this and that. Mm you're going to have to stop that, otherwise we'll start And I guess a part of that is, um, would rely on you guys working quite closely with the platforms so they can ensure that people aren't um, setting, you know, under 18 age targeting to uh, for an alcohol mm. brand. Um, I wonder, I've been sort of trying to get my head around social media regulation as a whole this mm. week. Um, and I, just a, a brief question, because I know it's like different uh, regulators or obviously different kinds and you guys are strictly advertising but are you expecting are you hearing anything to work closely uh, or more close with platforms sort of uh, in the future into next year do you mean from other parties asking us to or I mean yeah I don't know I honestly don't know if it'll be like a collaborative um, sort of regulation but the government's getting uh, a lot more heavily involved than they once were and I just sort of wondered what part you guys would have to play in that well we want to play an active part it's it's a really live live issue mm. and the government's internet safety strategy, which is a key piece of kind of 
uh, sort of a, a white paper or green paper being worked on at the moment, which should likely lead to legislation, further tightening of restrictions online. Yeah. Mm. And there's talk within that of an internet regulator. I mean, obviously, there's this really big, fascinating debate, and it's a worthwhile debate about the online space and how safe it is. Mm. Um, as an advertising regulator, we can evidence, and we're d doing lots of evidencing at the moment with government stakeholders and other people in that space of the advertising protections that are in place and the work we're doing. However, mentioning our strategy again, it's literally what we have to focus on going forward. Um, but the government has an appetite for tightening up mm. online and whether that impacts on advertising, we, we don't know, but we're trying to reassure them that actually we've got that covered. Mm. But there are broader elements around, you know, um, terrorism, you know, uh, child abuse. Yeah. It's real, real proper consumer it detriment issues. It seems to cover issues. so many yeah. things mm. that I think it's impossible for them to undertake on their own. So, like, my guess is we'll all sort of have to pitch in in the years to come. I, I think, I think, do our bit. I think you're right. And I think, back to your point on the platforms, they're going to they're gonna have to be part of this. Mm. And they're, I mean, they already are having big conversations because the government wants to step in and, and be tighter. So there's an expectation, uh, rightly, about bolstering protections and making sure it's as safe an environment as possible. Mm. No, for sure. It's an interesting future we're moving towards, isn't it? Lots of uh, loads to discuss. We could go on all day, couldn't we? Really good. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid we've run out of time. And very sadly, I have to wrap it up there because there was so much more I wanted to ask you. But brilliant. Thanks so much for coming in, Matt. It's really, been a really pleasure. appreciate it. Thank, Thank you very much for having me. Yes. Really Thank enjoyed you. it. Anytime. Thank you. Enjoyed this episode? A like, a share, or a quick review will enable us to bring you hard hitting truths and outrageous social secrets every week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with Theo, Eve and music by Pierre Flass.